The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. We start with stocks in a bit of a holding pattern as investors await quarterly results from some of the biggest names in tech. Shares of GameStop, they're continuing their rapid climb as Elon Musk, he just throws some more fuel on that frenzied surge. Microsoft also on the rise this morning on strong earnings. Uh, thanks to pandemic-driven demand, it's a bit of a different story for Starbucks. The stock, and which saw its bounce back in the U.S., curtailed by COVID once again. And for the first time in more than 60 years, the Baseball Hall of Fame revealing no new inductees will be welcomed in. It is Wednesday, January the 27th, 2021, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning to you. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Here's how your money and the global markets, they're setting up their day, at least so far. Stock futures, they're just a bit mixed right now. We're taking a look at them. The S&P down, the Dow Jones down as well. The Nasdaq, the only one in the green, clearly getting a boost from those strong Microsoft earnings. This after stocks ended slightly lower yesterday. The busiest week of, week of earnings, it just rolls on with big tech once again in focus. Apple, Facebook, and Tesla will all report results after the bell. We also get earnings from AT&T and Boeing today. Investors will also be keeping a close eye on comments from Fed Chairman Jay Powell, who will speak this afternoon right after the Fed's latest policy meeting. Let's go worldwide right now. Juliana Tattlebaum, she's in our London newsroom with a look at the early trade there in London. And Juliana, the European trade down slightly ahead of that Fed policy announcement. That's right, Frank. So investors over here are closely eyeing what Jerome Powell will say in his remarks later on. We have had a bit of a choppy session, though. We were trading in positive territory just a little while ago. Now we've dipped below the flat line, trading about 10 basis points lower. So clearly some caution among the investment community here in Europe. Worth noting that this does come after a decent session yesterday. The German market had some particularly strong moves, rebounding about 1.7 percent, breaking a three-day losing streak. So a little bit of a pullback after the strong session yesterday. Turning to sectors, I want to give you a look at the breakdown here. Fairly split picture, but we are seeing more demand for the defensive parts of the market. Telecoms up nearly 2%, media, real estate, food and bev, and healthcare. On the downside, we've got basic resources and oil and gas underperforming. So a couple of the more cyclical parts of the market. One stock in focus in the banking sector, I just want to show you Unicredit shares are trading higher this morning. The bank is poised to appoint Andrea Orsell as its new CEO. CEO, according to multiple media reports. The Italian lenders board could reportedly sign off on Orsell's appointment as soon as this morning. And as a reminder, Orsell left UBS in 2018 to take over at Santander, only for the Spanish lender to withdraw the offer over a payment dispute. So uh, one to watch as the day progresses. Frank? Juliana, thank you very much. 
Now turning to the morning's other top stories back here in the U.S., shares of Microsoft. They're on the rise this morning after the tech giant reported better than expected second quarter results and revenue guidance. The company reporting earnings of 203 a share on revenue over $43 billion. Microsoft has showed a lot of strength across the board, getting a boost in particular from the accelerating adoption of cloud computing and its new Xbox gaming system. It's a different story for shares of Starbucks, which are lower following its first quarter figures. Earnings topping expectations while revenue fell short. U.S. same-store sales falling as rising COVID-19 cases. Those led to harsher dining restrictions. Meanwhile, Starbucks chief operating officer, Roz Brewer, she's leaving the company at the end of next month to become the CEO of Walgreens. She'll be the only black woman leading a Fortune 500 company. And shares of GameStop are surging once again this morning as Tesla CEO Elon Musk, he enters the battle between Wall Street and Reddit users. Musk tweeting out a link to the Reddit board that's largely hyped the stock after the closing bell yesterday. His tweet, one of several by notable investors on GameStop, Chamath Palapatia writing yesterday morning, lots of GameStop talks. So we bought February $115 calls on GameStop this morning. Let's go. Kind of taken after Tom Brady, who's heading to the Super Bowl. Cameron Winklevoss later tweeting, thinking about going long GameStop. Thoughts? Question mark. And Musk rounding out the day with his link to the Reddit board writing simply Game Stonk, which is apparently a reference to a meme. Uh, One of our producers, Anjali, had explained it to me if you don't get it. You can go to my Twitter if you want some more of an explanation. All right. Now turning to Washington, where President Biden is expected to tackle climate change today amid his continued wave of executive orders. This after announcing plans to boost the number of COVID vaccines being shipped to states. Tracy Potts joins us now from Washington with the very latest. Good morning, Tracy. Frank, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Also, it is your turn. Vice President Harris getting her second dose of the coronavirus vaccine with millions of Americans still unable to get their first. I'm going to try and get up at around three o'clock in the morning and see if I can get a reservation for my first shot. President Biden announced the government's buying another 200 million doses, but they won't arrive till summer. For now, he's shipping 16% more to states and giving them three weeks notice of what's to come. We're at the mercy of whatever is sent. The brutal truth is it's going to take months before we can get the majority of Americans vaccinated. Months. Democrats are planning a vote on COVID relief as early as next week. The work must move forward preferably with our Republican colleagues, but without them, if we must. Republicans objecting to the $1.9 trillion price tag. All of us want to help people that have lost their jobs, uh, the small businesses, but that's not what this is. This is a, a liberal payback. Only five Republicans voted with Democrats on whether impeachment is constitutional, far short of the 17 needed to convict former President Trump. And as you noted earlier, Frank, the president wants to focus today on climate change. He's planning to issue several executive orders focusing on using science as the bedrock for all of their decisions. Uh, National security is an issue when it comes to climate, uh, land and water conservation. He wants to set up a new commission on green jobs and hold a World Climate Day on Earth Day in April. So, Tracy, back to the vaccine story. Does the U.S. actually have enough vaccine to give everyone two shots amid this new push by the Biden administration? 
Well, not yet, but we will. Remember, Johnson & Johnson, the third vaccine, the one that only takes one shot, that may be coming on in about a week. They're expected to be applying for emergency authorization then. That's another $100 million. And then with the $200 million being delivered this summer, uh, the president's saying that'll be enough for shots, two shots for everyone uh, in the United States who wants one. It's just a matter of timing. It's going to take them a while to produce. The, the original uh, shots won't all be ready until June. And then this new batch that they're ordering, perhaps sometimes later in the summer. Yeah, Tracy, timing and that phrase that you mentioned, who wants one? Two key issues right there. Tracy Potts, live from D.C., thank you very much. All right, back to the markets now. It could really be another busy day ahead. As we mentioned, several mega cap companies reporting their earnings, this amid the continued David versus Goliath trade with retail investors on Reddit and other sites taking on hedge fund shorts. Plus, there's the Fed decision in Jay Powell's news conference this afternoon. So as we said, a lot going on. Let's talk about all this now with Candace Bangson, VP and portfolio manager on the global asset allocation team at Fiera Capital, who joins us now on the phone. Hey, Candace, thanks for being here. Good morning. So let's get into it. Uh, U.S. markets, they're mixed this morning. Europe, European markets, they're lower ahead that Fed policy announcement. Why are we seeing all this ahead of the policy announcement where we don't really expect much news to be made? Yeah, I think that uh, reflationary trade that we've seen over the last few months is just taking a bit of a pause here. Uh, you know, investors obviously uh, trying to gauge that tug of war between the near-term virus and the economic impacts and, uh, of course, the lag timeline to widespread vaccination and a return to economic normality. So I think this is just creating a little bit more um, vulnerability uh, in the market. So speaking of the markets, uh, you were kind enough to send some of your research over. You're calling for a rapid recovery. You're seeing that as the most likely scenario. And as part of that scenario, you're seeing U.S. equities with a return of 6% and emerging markets with a return of almost 17%. Can you kind of explain your thesis there and also the timeline? Yeah, absolutely. So our view is that the outlook has brightened considerably here in 2021, obviously given the vaccine breakthroughs and the progress towards um, you know, vaccine rollout. Um, of course, early this year, the increased prospect of more fiscal spending out of the U.S. has created some notable upside potential for the U.S. economy as well. So all of this making way for a stronger than expected recovery in 2021. And this, in our view, um, you know, this reflationary environment that I talked about should make way for the laggards of 2020 to assume performance leadership in 2021, notably the value-oriented, economically sensitive sectors and regions of, um, of the world that should benefit, um, you know, given the reopening trade and are tied to the fortunes of the global economy. So in that instance, emerging markets, for example, from a sector perspective, the cyclicals, resources, commodities, financials, Again, uh, sectors um, that lagged last year, we expect to take performance leadership this year. So another part of your forecast is a weaker dollar throughout 2021. Can you kind of explain why you see a weaker dollar and how does that impact that cyclical trade that you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. We expect the, you know, the soft dollar conditions we saw through the back half of 2020 to extend into 2021. And that's largely, again, um, hinging on that stronger global growth outlook and a revitalization in risk appetite that um, will inherently weigh on the U.S. dollar due to its counter-cyclical nature. In contrast, weaker dollar uh, bodes well for higher commodity prices, and that has emboldened 
our preference for energy, materials, uh, in general, just commodity stocks. So I just want to make sure I understand. You're a bit bearish on the dollar, but you're bullish on the recovery. But we just showed the dollar chart. This year, as the dollar's fallen, it's really been mega tech stocks and consumer discretionary stocks led by Amazon that have seen that surge. What changes in 2021 that gives you the cyclicals like industrials and materials the edge? Yeah, absolutely. So 2020 was the year of the pandemic, the work from home trade, the technology stocks obviously led the performance charge and underscored the defensive nature of the rally through 2020. Obviously, lots of risks, um, you know, given that the virus continues to circulate globally. Now, our expectation for that rotation in 2021 is largely endorsed by the expectation that global growth will improve and become more durable. And this will allow for that rotation to um, become increasingly durable, uh, given that reopen, reopening and recovery trade that we expect to take hold in 2021. All right, Candice, we're almost running out of time. I want to ask you one more question. Um, futures are mixed again, only the tech-heavy Nasdaq up right now. What do you expect for the rest of the day until we get that Fed policy announcement? Do you see the markets continue to be mixed throughout the day? Yeah, consistent with what I mentioned earlier, just, um, you know, trading on the headlines, a little bit of mixed market moves here in the next uh, in the next several hours, though we're expecting a fairly accommodative uh, message from the Federal Reserve here today. And I think this should ultimately help to support risk assets. Uh, we expect uh, the chair to reaffirm that policy will remain accommodative and likely push back on some of that notion that will be a taper in the asset purchase program this year. So this should, in general, um, so be supportive of global stock markets broadly. All right, Candace Bankson, thank you very much for your time and for your insight. We appreciate it. All right, when we come back, Ant Group's IPO potentially getting back on track as Chinese officials, they set new terms. Plus, one of President Biden's cabinet picks striking a very tough tone on China. Eunice Yoon is standing by in Beijing with reaction from leaders there. And later, Las Vegas Sands handing over control of the company following founder Sheldon Adelson's death. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. Live look at Hong Kong right now. The foggy sky over there. The day wrapping up as our day is just really beginning. All right, new this morning. Ant Group's IPO it could get back on track if the company resolves its ongoing issues with matters such as user privacy. That's according to the governor of China's central bank, who made those comments yesterday. Ant Group's public offering was pulled by regulators just days before it was due to begin trading in Shanghai and Hong Kong in November amid a lot of scrutiny by Chinese regulators. Meanwhile, the Financial Times is reporting that Ant Group is planning to sell its U.S.-based biometric security firm, iVerify. The FT says the move comes amid growing tensions between Beijing and Washington over China's technology companies and tightening scrutiny over U.S. data. 
All right. Now, sticking with China, President Biden's pick for Commerce Secretary is promising aggressive action when it comes to protecting American interests. Those remarks, the latest by Biden administration officials, suggesting a continuation of former President Trump's tough China policies. Eunice Yoon joins us now from Beijing with much more. And Eunice, what's the reaction been to those brand new comments? Well, uh, the Chinese foreign ministry said that the U.S. Uh, should not make uh, what it says are the same mistakes as President Trump. Uh, the uh, foreign ministry uh, said that the Biden administration should learn lessons from the failure of what it called and derided as President Trump's America only approach. And, and this, of course, comes after Biden's nominee for Commerce Secretary had said that the, the Biden administration would uh, make every effort to try to protect the U.S. telecoms networks from China's Huawei, as well as ZTE, uh, what the foreign ministry had said is a, a suppression of Chinese companies. And um, after she repeated that the Biden administration would take an interdepartmental approach to be much more aggressive on China. So a Chinese state media had picked up on how the Biden administration is going to have a multilateral strategy. A Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, uh, confirmed overnight, had made some of his first calls to traditional U.S. allies, Japan and South Korea. And the Global Times argued that the uh, Chinese um, have just as much as what um, Jen Psaki, uh, the White House uh, spokesperson, had said, strategic patience as the United States in order to win um, a battle with the United States, saying that it has a very strong economy and also competitive companies. So still a lot of tension, uh, Frank, in the relationship as China waits to see exactly what the approach is going to be from the Biden administration. Yeah, Eunice, I think tension might be a euphemism. There's this is some heat here. Uh, so we've, we've heard a lot about uh, China <laughs> buying commodities from us and potentially us selling pork to them because of African swine fever. Um, is there anything else on the horizon that has any potential to help these U.S.-China relations move forward after a really four tense years under the Trump administration? Well, there's been some discussion in the state media about this. And what's interesting is that it tends to um, center around trying to improve the engagement. So improve communication by uh, uh, um, basically reversing what they've described as reckless policies, such as the closure of consulates, uh, visa restrictions when it comes to uh, journalists, to um, to students, for example, and also some um, business uh, uh, visas as well. And then finally, uh, there was an interesting report to Today on tariffs, saying that tariffs need to also be reversed in order to try to improve the relationship and that it wouldn't only be uh, the Chinese that would cheer, but also many American businesses and consumers. Yeah, tariffs are still an ongoing issue. We don't talk about it as much anymore, but it's certainly still a factor in U.S.-China relations. <laughs> Eunice Yoon, live from Beijing. Thank you very much. All right, still on deck. Walmart looking to ramp up its use of automated systems to get you your orders faster. Details on the strategy shift by the retail giant. That and much more coming up. Stay with us. Today's big number, $4.1 trillion. That's the total collective wealth of American billionaires, according to a report by the Institute for Policy Studies and Americans for Tax Fairness. That's a 37% increase in net worth since the pandemic began in March.
At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. And a live look at Chicago where the sun hasn't come up just yet. Old stomping grounds there. Beautiful look at downtown. Definitely chilly there as it is on lots of parts of the East Coast where we are right now. All right, let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Mena, he's in New York with the very latest. Good morning, Philip. What's going on? Hey, Frank, good to see you. Good morning. Uh, the poet who stole the show at President Biden's inauguration is burning up the charts. Despite her books not being released until September, Amanda Gorman's poetry is already at the top of Amazon. The nation's youngest inaugural poet has two upcoming books marked as bestsellers on the website. The Washington football team promoted coaching intern Jennifer King to assistant running backs coach. With that hire, King becomes the first black woman in NFL history to be named an assistant coach of a position group. And finally, the Baseball Hall of Fame has no plans to expand as the Baseball Writers Association of America elected no new players to the hall this year. It's the first time since 2013 that no player received the 75% of votes needed to be elected. Some did get closer than others to enshrinement. Pitcher Kurt Schilling led all vote-getters, and he was just 16 votes shy of getting that 75%. But Frank, he's already said he doesn't even want on the ballot next year, his final year of eligibility for the writers. He wants to leave it up to the Veterans Committee to see if he gets in. Really? I didn't hear him say that. You know, I'm from Philadelphia. He's a former Philly. I'm a fan of his from what he did in Philadelphia. And of course, everybody knows about the bloody sock, but I'm just not 100 percent sure he's a Hall of Famer. One of our producers, Adam, told me the same thing. Uh, I was a Diamondbacks fan. I was living in Arizona for a while, and he really came through for them as well, too. Him and Randy Johnson, quite a pair. Yeah, just because you're clutch doesn't mean you belong in the Hall of Fame. That's, we'll, we'll talk about that offline. We can go on and on and on, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Philip, right, thanks Brian. a lot, buddy. All right. All right, still on deck. Investors gearing up for what could be a strong showing by big tech with its quarterly results. We lay out what Wall Street will be looking for in those numbers. And coming up on Squawk Box, the co-CEO of Robinhood, Vlad Tenev, talks about the surge in his business as the trading platform has seen such a boost from retail investors over the last year. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. Good morning. Futures are mixed with big tech stocks driving the Nasdaq higher this morning and a change at the top at Walgreens. Walgreens naming Starbucks COO Ross Brewer as its next CEO. She becomes the only black woman running a Fortune 500 company. Plus, the short squeeze, why a number of hedge funds are finding themselves on the wrong side of the trade and how social media is playing a big part in this story. It's Wednesday, January 27, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. I think we all get the song there. Great pick by Angeli, Jason, and Adam, our producers here. Welcome back. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan, a.k.a. Big Papa. Here's how your money and your investments look right now as we're halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. 
Stock futures, they're mixed. They've been mixed all morning. We're seeing right here the Nasdaq is the only one in the positive. It's actually gained a little bit more from just a half an hour ago when we started the show. The S&P and the Dow both down. The Dow increasing its decline as we continue the show. Now, this all after stocks ended slightly lower yesterday. The busiest week of earnings, it just continues to roll on. With big tech once again in focus, you see it right here. Apple, Facebook, and Tesla, they'll all report their results after the bell today. Still coming up, we have Visa and Honeywell. Um, A big week for tech, also airline earnings and Comcast there. Investors will also be keeping a close eye on comments from Fed Chairman Jay Powell, who will speak this afternoon after the end of the Fed's latest policy meeting. So a lot going on today, clearly. Now to this morning's other top stories. The Biden administration is ordering an additional 200 million doses of COVID vaccine half from Pfizer and half from Moderna. The president says this could allow for nearly every American to get fully vaccinated by the end of the summer. And Las Vegas Sands naming Robert Goldstein as its permanent CEO following the death of Sheldon Adelson. Adelson's son-in-law, Patrick Dumont, is taking on the job of president and COO. The Adelson family remains in control of the company with a 57% stake. Don't miss CEO Rob Goldstein on CNBC this afternoon live at 2 p.m. Eastern. And Walmart's making a bigger bet on the online grocery business. The retail giant announcing plans to expand the use of automated systems to pick and pack shoppers' orders, and it will convert dozens of its stores into local fulfillment centers. Well, investors, they seem to be pretty pleased with Microsoft's second quarter results. Just kidding, being a little sarcasm. They're very pleased. Revenue's rising 17%, beating forecasts, and the company reporting a jump in its intelligent cloud unit, a business that analysts really think is critical. Investors may be hoping Microsoft and its solid numbers are a sign of similar success, coming up at least, for Apple, Facebook, and Tesla, which report their earnings after the close today. Let's talk a whole lot more about this now with Cyrus Maywalawala, head of investment research at Global Data. Cyrus, thanks for being here. Thanks, Frank, for inviting me. So let's get into this. Uh, tech, media, and telecom, that's your area of coverage. So one of the giants in the tech world, Microsoft, they reported their earnings Obviously, in the early trade, they're still seeing a boost. Is that a good sign for big tech and megatech stocks in 2021, even considering some of that regulatory pressure and the perception by a lot of people, maybe even you, that the valuations are sky high and maybe too high? Yeah, I I think there's a general view that the valuations are high. In my view, that there's two sets within big tech. Uh, One is um, the ones that are likely to be regulated, and the other is the the, the ones that that are not likely to be regulated. I think Microsoft and Apple fall in the ones that are less likely to be regulated. Uh, And Microsoft in particular, I think, despite its valuation, still has uh, a good growth future ahead. And, And there's two reasons for that. One is digital transformation. After COVID, every CEO in every industry knows they need to tech-enable their business, uh, and Microsoft is less of a threat in terms of cloud than, say, Amazon. And the second is next-generation technology. Microsoft has invested in the big next-generation mega-themes like cloud, artificial intelligence, even quantum computing, which could be the next mega-cycle in a decade. So what about regulatory pressure? Are you concerned about that at all and and the possible impact that could have on stock performance? Yeah, I think... um, I see three types of regulatory pressure. One is in data privacy, one is in antitrust, and the other is in misinformation. The companies most likely to be hit are Google uh, and Facebook, but I would say Facebook uh, likely to be hit hit the most. And the real game changer for me was that um, 
you know, in terms of uh, misinformation, the, you know, platforms like Facebook are, are now news platforms, but they're not regulated like other, like traditional news platforms like yourself, uh, for example. Uh, and the argument that Facebook lawyers always made was that we're not a publisher, we are a, a content neutral um, uh, platform. Uh, but of course, when they, um, the, the catastrophic mistake that I think Facebook's management made under pressure from the U.S. population and also their own employees uh, was that they took President Trump off uh, off Facebook, and and that showed an exercise of editorial control, and that makes the argument that they're they're no longer publishers much harder to stand. So I expect um, regulation in these three areas to hit Facebook um, uh, and to hit it hard in 2021. All right. So Facebook, you're seeing them as uh, uh, that company is the one in the most risk of le- regulatory pressure. Um, as far as just their content. But what about the regulatory pressure for companies like Facebook to spin off Instagram or maybe even for Amazon to spin off AWS? What's your take? Could that potentially be good for the market and good for consumers? Yeah, I think let's take one at a time. So in terms of Facebook, the the monopoly arises because they have control of data. So um, splitting Facebook up won't really solve that problem. Uh, what regulators need to do to solve that problem is to separate control of the data, which which typically belongs to the consumer, from the, the social media platform services that, that Facebook provides. And there's already technology to do that where consumers can switch on and switch off the data that Facebook can access at, at the switch of a button. But right now, um, Facebook has control of the three critical things that make it a monopoly. They have control of all customer data and they don't share that with competitors. They have control of the cloud platform on which that data sits and they don't share that with competitors. Um, And they have uh, advanced AI um, uh, platforms which can interpret that data. What regulators need to do is separate the data from the software. In terms of Amazon, I think uh, a split up makes more sense on 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 antitrust uh, grounds. But let's see what President Biden um, and the antitrust uh, authorities decide. So, Cyrus, we're almost out of time, but I have to ask you about this one thing. You talked about macroeconomic themes and some notes that you sent to us. One of those themes is generation hashtag. What is it and how is it going to impact the markets in 2021? Yeah, we see a generation hashtag as the, the new co- the new generation uh, of young people, age you know, born between 1990 and, and 2005, um, that essentially are doing new things. They are more sustainable. So companies like Exxon, for example, that don't take uh, uh, you know uh, sustainability seriously, are, are going to be hit by that because some of these uh, some of these co- cohorts are starting to uh, move into the asset management space and so on. So I think they're taking sustainability seriously. They're taking things like electric vehicles seriously. So, you know, Tesla's Tesla, which looks overvalued by, by any metric uh, t- today, could be helped by this cohort. And also there's a, there's a next uh, generation of technologies that this, um, uh, that, you know, that will help Microsoft and other big tech, um, you know, stay in the lead. So one last question about that generation hashtag. Where are they buying stocks? What stocks are they buying? Are they buying big name stocks? Are they on Robinhood? How can we see their impact on the market? Yeah, I think generation hashtag, as we define it, are typically too young to buy stocks. They don't have much uh, much disposable income yet. However, they are uh, they are spenders, uh, and they are the next generation uh, of spenders. So you know they're into things like Pepsi just announced uh, a deal with Beyond Meat, uh, and they're into uh, they're into veganism and, and things like that. So all the things that this next generation of cohorts is is looking at, that's what we look at in our generation hashtag note. And there's there's load there's loads of areas, but sustainability. Um, uh, new forms of uh, 
uh, of eating and things like that. New forms of driving. This generation doesn't want to own a car. Uh, so that's going to impact the entire car industry at a time when car, multi car valuation multiples are, are beyond the roof. So I think that, that, that there's a number of industries that, that they are going to impact in, a, in addition to car, energy and food. Do you know what a stonk is? Have you heard of that? I never heard of that. Uh, I haven't. No. Yeah. What is it? Well, you, that means you're not in generation hashtag. One of our <laughs> producers, she explained it. What, it Elon Musk tweeted out game stonk. It's apparently a reference to a meme. It's on my Twitter site. I don't even get it myself. So don't worry about it. But you're not in generation hashtag. We just figured that out. Thank you. <laughs> Have a good day. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. All right. Coming up, a firsthand look at travel amid new rules, including, including a requirement for a negative COVID test before boarding an international flight to the U.S., but first, as we head to break, some of today's other headlines, Walgreens naming Starbucks chief operating officer Rosalind Brewer as its next CEO. She will become the only black woman leading a Fortune 500 company. Apple overtaking Amazon to become the world's most valuable brand. Tesla takes the title of the fastest growing brand. This all according to the Brand Finance Global 500 ranking. And shares of Allstate rising this morning. Blackstone is buying the company's life insurance unit for $2.8 billion. Stay tuned. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. As of yesterday, the U.S. is officially requiring international travelers to provide, to provide proof of a negative COVID-19 test on entry. Travelers, including U.S. citizens, they have to be tested within three days of arrival from any other country except from U.S. territories. But the onus for making sure those protocols are followed, that's falling on U.S. airlines. Joining us now is Brian Kelly, founder and CEO of The Points Guy. Brian, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So uh, let's get started. You are actually in favor of this testing protocol, but you have some concerns about a possible quarantine if it's more than just those three days. Yeah, you know, most other countries in the world have had testing requirements for international travelers. So it's a little bit late to the game, in my opinion, but better late than never. Uh, but we need to get COVID under control. And most of the travel industry and airlines agree that we should have some sort of testing policy. You know, I've traveled extensively over the last year, and it's amazing that you used to be able to come into the U.S. and they wouldn't even ask you if you were sick. No temperature, no test, a free-for-all, and that's just not sustainable. So let me ask you this other question about the potential for there to be a COVID test mandated for travel within the U.S. Are you in support of that? Uh, you know, I think COVID is the biggest issue domestically. So I don't know why we would discourage international travel to countries that have handled the, the virus much better than we have, but then not encourage it in the U.S., I think it would be a, a nightmare domestically because we don't have the testing infrastructure. So before we do anything like mandating testing domestically, we should make sure that we have it available and affordable. Um, but we need to do something to get COVID under control because the vaccine's not going to be this cure-all that we've hoped it's going to be. So you have a colleague that actually traveled to the Bahamas. Beautiful place to go. I've never been, but I've seen the pictures. I think we all have, and some of us probably wish we were there right now. But your colleague traveled there and came back. Um, he described the process as less arduous than he expected. Can you give us some more color into this? And do you think this could actually be a model for what we could see in other countries or at least here in the U.S.? Yeah, the biggest stress that he had was was getting the test done. He stayed at the Baja Mar Resort, which actually now provides it uh, testing as an amenity. And also rapid antigen tests are uh, allowed for this testing, which makes it a lot easier to get within that three-day period before departure. Um, but, you know, Hyatt Hotels now just announced yesterday that they're going to be offering this testing, COVID testing at all of their Latin America resorts. So I expect the hotel industry to, to step up because there's a lot of stress that consumers have. But once you get the test, you print it out, you show it at check-in at the airport, 
and it's pretty simple. So obviously you have, a, uh, you have access to a lot of data about where people are going and, and what they plan to do. What is the general perception right now? Are people itching to take some of those international trips, at least to Mexico and the Caribbean? Yeah, so the, the, the demand for Caribbean and Mexico travel is still strong, but we see this rule just with so many unknowns. You know, a lot of people who go to Mexico want to stay in an Airbnb. They don't have the testing of the hotel. People are stressed out right now. So we foresee people canceling those Mexico Caribbean trips and going domestic, Arizona, Florida, because and also Puerto Rico, U.S. Virgin Islands, our territories do not have the same testing requirement, at least not yet. Yeah, Virgin Islands is a beautiful place. I used to live there. So just to be clear, that's one of the places you can come back from and not have to test because it's a U.S. Exactly. territory. You do need a test to get into them. So, you know, it's a check. it depends. Even Hawaii has stricter rules uh, than the rest of the state. So, um, you know, do your research these days. So, Brian, I've heard of trip insurance, which I've never taken out myself, but now there's COVID-19 insurance. Can you explain that? And what could that mean to airline stocks and cruise line stocks? Yes. So most insurance policies won't cover COVID, especially travel insurance. But in order to go to the Bahamas, you need to get a travel visa and they allow you for 40 to 60 dollars to get insurance coverage up to 50,000 dollars. Because if you do test positive there, you're on the hook for medical bills, 14 day plus hotel stay et cetera, those can add up quickly. So I highly recommend uh, finding a travel insurance package, you know, 50 bucks. It does start to add up with the testing and the insurance travels definitely, but you know, airfares and hotels are much cheaper these days, so it all balances out. So Brian, personal question. Uh, I have a couple of days to take off coming up. Where would you go? If you could just go somewhere for a week, where would you go? Where does it make the most sense when you think about COVID-19 value flights and everything else? You know, flight deals are really amazing. Yesterday, United had a $29 domestic fare sale. I would probably recommend most people stay domestically since testing right now. There's a lot of kinks to be worked out. Not every international destination has access to testing. So, you know, this country is beautiful. Hawaii, you know, maybe for you on the East Coast, going to Hawaii for a couple of days isn't easy. But Hawaii has uh, some pretty strict COVID restrictions, but it's for the safety of everyone. So I would say domestic. All right. Brian, Brian Kelly with the travel advice. We appreciate it. I'm going to be checking my points and see if I can go. All right. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. On deck, the short squeeze, why a number of hedge funds are finding themselves on the wrong side of the trade and how social media is playing a really big part in this story. And if you haven't already, subscribe to our new podcast, Worldwide Exchange, every day in audio form. And if you miss us or Big Papa Brian Sullivan, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And we will be right back. And a live look at Times Square right now, 47 past the hour, uh, 547 here in New York City. Sun still hasn't come up, but the lights, uh, they're always flashing, always bright down there at the NASDAQ, where at least part of Squawk Box will be uh, broadcast from the this morning. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The market story of the week outside of earnings, the battle taking place between day traders on social media and hedge fund short sellers. GameStop finding itself right at the center of this fight, resulting in some very big market moves. Our Leslie Picker joins us now with much more on this story. Good morning, Leslie. Hey, good morning, Frank. It's become Wall Street versus Wall Street Bets. That's the subreddit group that's been credited with those massive moves in the now former small caps with GameStop serving as this week's poster child of the phenomenon. It's been painful for those on the other side of the trades, largely the hedge fund community. As one source told me, some firms were texting about how this was akin to the apocalypse for certain books. The moves were responsible for, head, for a 
hedge fund's near-death experience this week. The ploy to wipe out Gabe Plotkin's firm surfaced on Reddit forums months ago when his Melvin Capital revealed in a quarterly SEC filing a variety of puts in names like GameStop, GSX, and Bed Bath & Beyond. But these stocks and others have surged in recent weeks, causing those who were bearish a huge blow. Melvin suffered losses upwards of 30 percent in the year through just last Friday. That doesn't even encompass this week. Now, ultimately, Citadel and Point72 injected $2.75 billion to keep Melvin afloat, uh, much to the chagrin of the retail crowd on Reddit, who were out for blood. Now, Frank, even, some even piled on with death threats against Plotkin, his family, and other short sellers. Melvin Capital declined to comment uh, on that specifically. Now, still, none of this thwarted GameStop with a 93% surge yesterday. Uh, it's up again this morning. Now, the whole scenario created an us-versus-them mentality. On one side, you've got the day traders, who are really reveling in their power of their collective schadenfreude, on the other, the fundamental hedge fund managers, whose job it is to charge fees to short some stocks. And lately, Frank, they're having a hard time doing it. And in the middle are some quants who are just along for the ride. Frank. All right, Leslie, three things I don't understand here. Number one, what schadenfreude means, no clue. Number no? two, no, no idea. Never heard this. Uh, number two, did that say GameStop up 1,700%? Um. It, I, I didn't see the exact chart uh, as it passed by, but Schadenfreude, uh, just to you know, go back to your first question, uh, it's it's happiness at the misfortune of others. It's a German ah, word. Interesting. Um, which loves I, I think I, I, I learned it from the musical Avenue Q, but um, you know, still right. still st- La- stuck in my mind. <laughs> Last um, question: <laughs> Are there any potential legal ramifications from all this? Because there's a lot going on here. That I think is the big question right now, and people are trying to understand. How is what's going on with Reddit, where you have all of these different conversations pumping up the same stock, uh, clearly impacting the price of of what's going on in the markets? Uh, How is that legal? How is that something that, you know, shows fairness in the markets and so forth? And, you know, people I've talked to say there may be some nefarious action going on right now. It's unclear exactly what. Uh, Another key concern is are people considered acting in groups, in which case you have to have to have certain types of disclosure. Um, but at the same time, other people say, you know, how is this any different than a, a hedge fund manager coming on television and saying, you know, buy this stock. I'm in it. I think it's a great stock. Buy this stock. So, uh, or short this stock. We have people come on all the time and right. say, I'm, I'm short um, this stock as well. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's unclear exactly, um, you know, whether there are any legal ramifications. Um, but on the surface, it doesn't appear that there's anything actually illegal going on. Leslie, one more question. We got a lot of questions for you this morning. Do you okay. know what game stonk meant when Elon Musk yeah. tweeted that out? Did you understand that? Yeah. Well, stonk is like the kind of I don't know social media word for stocks. It's like the the slang for stocks, I guess. So game stonk is is like a game stock. It's All just right. a. Yeah, I'm trying to figure it out, too. It's, it's a little odd. It's a lot. It's a lot, yeah. <laughs> Leslie I, I went deep down into the, the, the Reddit rabbit holes uh, I, I the last see few that. days. So. I'm hoping that you resurface. Leslie Picker, great reporting too. as always. We really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you, Frank. All right, now to the trading day ahead. Plenty for investors to chew on between earnings and the Fed wrapping up its latest policy meeting. Joining me now is Nuveen Chief Investment Strategist Brian Nick with a lot more insight on this. Brian, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So ahead of this Fed policy meeting later today, we see European stocks are lower, U.S. stocks are mixed. 
uh, only the NASDAQ in the green. Why is there so much just anxiety and tension and people kind of wringing their hands when we're not expecting much to be said? I think the Fed probably prefers it that way. They don't want to be the main driver of stocks. I think you'll see the Fed this year transition from independent variable to dependent variable. I think that's going to be the message today. No new policy changes or even communication changes really from the Fed. I think Jay Powell in his press conference is going to stick to the view that they're not going to be moving anything on policy accommodation unless and until the economic data tells them that it's time to do so, which makes them the, the dependent variable uh, with really the vaccinations, the virus and the economic reopening being the things that will ultimately push the Fed to act if it feels like it needs to start removing a combination. So I don't think he's going to give the markets anything to chew on one way or the other today. And we're probably what we're seeing with, with the, the drivers today is, is more on the earnings front than anything else. So, Brian, that's not until this afternoon. Maybe, maybe uh, Fed Chairman Jay Powell will give us a lot to chew on. Maybe he won't. It doesn't sound like he will. But until we get to that point where we get that announcement, how do you see the market day shaping up? And, and why, are they, why is everything lower for the most part? I think the one thing that the Nasdaq is higher or is set to open higher because of the Microsoft earnings from last night. So I think I think really we're we're, we're kind of retrenching here a bit from a very hot open to the year. We saw cyclical stocks leading. We saw the interest rates moving up pretty aggressively, and all those things have retrenched a bit. We're seeing now growth stocks do better. I think there's some doubt or skepticism about maybe some of the vaccines, the new strains. Anytime there's an absence of good news, you tend to have maybe skepticism or bad news uh, tend to fill it. That tends to be what happens. So the good news needs to come from maybe the Fed, maybe some of the economic data we're going to have incoming this week on consumer spending, GDP, although I doubt it. And then I think that ultimately what's going to make the biggest difference is evidence that the vaccine, the vaccinations are ramping up into that you know two million, two and a half million per day range in the U.S. and ultimately, hopefully, in Europe as well. And I think that is the key to unlocking the economy. Unless and until that happens, I'm not sure that there's, there's going to be much upward momentum from stocks, except for better than expected earnings. So, Brian, uh, you sent us your research. You say there's a case for risk on investing, and it's partly due to valuations. But we constantly hear that valuations are sky high, maybe too high. How do those two things jive together? Yeah, so when we say risk on investing, we just mean in terms of a full portfolio. If you're looking at the choice between owning stocks, owning bonds, owning cash, the case is still pretty strong just based on valuations that stocks are actually the most attractively valued. Now, everything is expensive. Cash, if you want to think of it this way, is expensive because it's not paying you anything to own it. Interest rates have almost never been lower. The market has never been valued more highly, except during briefly during the early 2000s, late 1990s. But if you take all those things in a relative sense, stocks still offer you the best risk-adjusted return over the next five or 10 years, which is really what we're looking at. Um, and so I think risk on investing based on not only the valuation, but our outlook for the rest of the year, which is the economy is set to get a whole lot better. People have a lot of pent-up demand. Balance sheets look pretty good, both for corporations and households. So by the third quarter, fourth quarter, we think things are going to be a lot better economically speaking. The stock market is already latching on to that optimism in terms of the progress we've seen cumulatively over the last couple of months. All right. One last question before we let you go, Brian. How did the vaccines, the vaccine rollout, how did those impact the market in 2021? A lot of big vaccine news today from the Biden administration. What sectors do you see being impacted by this increased focus on getting those vaccines out to people? Yeah, the more good news we get on vaccinations in terms of supply, delivery, and actual shots into arms, that tends to be better for cyclical stocks because it pulls forward the eventual economic reopening and allows some of those companies that have been a bit more distressed because their business models are heavily COVID-sensitive, so travel, leisure, even stocks like energy stocks, bank stocks can do better if interest rates are going to be rising in anticipation of economic growth in the future. Uh, All those things are going to be 
you know, tend to do better when, when there's good news on the vaccines. If we see you know, bumps in the road, if we see these kind of new virulent strains coming and becoming more prevalent, they, maybe they become more vaccine resistant. That's when you start to see a retrenchment into some of the defensive parts of the market, including technology, which has become in this day and age a more defensive sector. All right, Brian Nick, thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate the insight. And that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. No matter what you're a fan of, Texas has the trip for you. There's the trip to Texas and the trip. Or maybe you're the kind of fan who'd prefer a trip to Texas or a trip. Either way, go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours.